0: It's time for Eye Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Eye along with other area and national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling Text Line, 217-351-5357. Now, here are your hosts. Lauren Tate, and Steve Kelly.
1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the program with you for the next couple of hours from 9 to 11 right here on News Talk 1400. Lauren Tate is in the house as well. Plenty to talk about. Phone line is open, 217-356-9397. Another big weekend of Big Ten basketball and college basketball. Four games on the slate today and three more tomorrow, including the Illinois Northwestern game tomorrow afternoon at uh, State Farm Center. Mr. Tate, how you doing this morning? Doing good. you looking good.
2: Got up at 6 o'clock, made a bad mistake, and still here.
1: What what was the mistake? Getting up <laughs>
2: <laughs> I spelled the name wrong in my Well, column. <laughs> I can't imagine that.
1: That's why uh, that's why you have some editors take a look at that for oh, you. Oh well,
2: yeah, I got lots of editors. <laughs> you and Annie Dixon and <laughs> well,
1: I noticed I said, Boy, Lauren's up uh, early this morning. I saw your, your column come through. Yeah, I
2: went, I I sent it out so they can work it you know. It's uh, you have to I, massage I, I learned it, right? a long time ago that deadlines are kinda tough when you're a sports editor. When so much stuff happens right on deadline, it's hard to get everything straight. So if you have something that's going to be in advance, you want to get it way in advance so you can get it out of the way.
1: So you're writing uh, for tomorrow, or you wrote for tomorrow, Well, something that we talked about last week. Yeah, I've been talking
2: about it for several weeks, actually, about who is Illinois' most natural rival. And it turns out that they don't have the number one rival it isn't the same. I think it's it's Indiana and or Iowa in that order for me in basketball. Mm-hmm. But Indiana is not a great rival for Illinois in football now, is it? I mean, the games have never meant that much, and and what have we played them once since two thousand, since two thousand thirteen? Is that right? right? Something like that. And um, so if you don't play somebody on a regular basis, and and the game is kind of semi-meaningless in terms of the Big Ten standings, um, how big a rivalry is it? And uh, it kind of came up because we play Northwestern tomorrow, and the people in Northwestern very often consider Illinois their number one rival, but I don't think Illinois considers Northwestern its number one rival.
1: Correct. And the same thing for Illinois disliking Michigan, especially in football.
2: For a long time, Steve, you go back far enough. If you go back to the Red Grange days and on up through mm-hmm. and then if you go into the period when we had Bump Elliott playing Pete Elliott, you know, the two rival brothers uh, were the coaches of the teams. I think up to that, up to Shim it was Illinois' biggest game. It wasn't Michigan's biggest game? Right. Michigan's biggest game has always been going to be Ohio State. Mm-hmm. But for a long time, I think Illinois has got more riled up for Michigan than anybody. For a long time, but I don't think that's the case anymore because the game became too lopsided. It's plus the fact we don't play them every year.
1: Right. Got the phone lines open, and Alan is up early this morning. What do you say, Alan?
3: Well, you can say what you want, but I'm not still. Don't like to beat Michigan no matter what.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, you're an old timer like me. You see, I think uh, we go back to a time when it was almost oh, yeah. it was competitive. But the problem is, it hasn't been competitive. In, you know, since Jim Beckler, not on not any kind of a consistent basis. Jim Beckler really. Well, we lost. A... Go ahead.
3: We lost a game or two to Michigan uh, back in the '80s when uh, Oh Turner was here on the Rocky Harvey final. On oh yeah, yeah.
2: That. The, here's the thing: you can remember every big win over Michigan. Yep. yep. <laughs> they are so few. Yep. We've beaten Michigan four times since Jim Beckler got there, I think, something like that. He came in 69, 1969. And I guess yep. if I sat down and you, you know, made, whipped me uh, hard enough, I could probably come up with every game that Illinois won in that series. And and some of them were really uh, huge wins <laughs> for us. I mean, 1960, what was 1983, 16-6, right. wasn't
1: it, Steve? 16-6 and yeah. sent Illinois to the Rose Bowl.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that was huge.
3: Uh, what I called about, guys. Uh, the last ten games of this season, I uh, looked at the schedule, starting with the Wisconsin game. I felt like we're probably going to end up five and five, and I'm hoping I'm wrong. Right now, we're two and one, with a good chance of being three and one tomorrow. But man, we got some tough games to play, we've got Ohio State and uh, Iowa coming. To Illinois and Ohio State beat us at home last year. Yeah. Uh if we do better than that, I'll be pleased. I think I think whoever wins this league is gonna have five or six losses.
1: Alan, you sound like a lot of guys I play golf with. <laughs> they never the glass is always half empty. They <laughs> They they believe in the power well, of negative thinking. <laughs> I'm
3: just uh, I'm just being realistic, Steve. That I know, I know. The season we had was pretty good. The yeah. only I mean, the
2: we, only we, team that Illinois doesn't match up well with is is Purdue. True. I mean, I mean, because of the center situation, that's my opinion. Plus the fact, you know, when we play him, Ivy looks like a superstar. He didn't look like a superstar the other day against Michigan. Well, then but then
3: how come Michigan
2: tore him up? I can't understand that. I mean, Michigan couldn't beat anybody there for a while. Now they're all of a sudden they erupted. I don't know what's going to happen when Ohio State goes to Michigan today. Who's going to win that one? Well, you got to you got to hope Michigan wins well, it from the
1: standpoint. But Michigan's only got five losses in the conference. Mm-hmm. You know, they. I, I don't think they're going to
3: win it. And, we just got to face facts, with Big Ten stuff. Well, yeah, that's all there's to it.
2: When wasn't it? <laughs>
3: I mean, seven years ago, it was pretty pretty lopsided. Not so much anymore.
1: Well, I hate to sound like a coach, Uh, but you take them one at a time. And don't look past Northwestern. They've won three in a row. Absolutely. This will be a big game for them coming down here. They played Illinois tough not that long ago.
2: Yeah, that was a 59-56
1: game.
3: I don't know if we played Nebraska in a year, but we have no cupcakes left. We really don't.
1: No, you know, the schedule is Northwestern at Rutgers, at Michigan State, Ohio State here, at Michigan, Penn State, and Iowa both here.
2: Rutgers plays like well, Superman, you
1: know, We
3: huh? don't even have Nebraska. We don't even have a Nebraska come back, so they're all going to be tough.
1: They yeah. are indeed. That's why they play the games, right?
3: <laughs> right. It's all I got, guys.
1: Okay, appreciate it. We've got some Big Ten right. action today. Wisconsin is at Rutgers, so you got to...
2: You I got uh, Rutgers. Who's who's
1: home there? I, I, oh, no, you're right. Wisconsin's home. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. I listed that uh, backwards. Wisconsin is home. Indiana's at Michigan State.
2: Ohio State's at Michigan. Penn State's at Minnesota. Michigan State's lost two in a row. Yes, they have. And they're playing Indiana, and uh, you know Indiana's going to bring back the five guys that were held out for marijuana. They're back, so they'll have their team intact and. Who knows? They might have that one game, you know, at Michigan State. Well, sometimes when Mm your team reforms, they have that one special game. I mean, I don't know how you, you know, how are you going to judge Michigan? How are you going to judge them? I mean, they were sensational, but they made everything. They just made everything against Purdue. 61% in the second half. (laughs) <laughs> That'll do it, won't it? No kidding.
1: And plus, one of the things they do too—they with their big guy, uh, Dickinson—they take him, they bring him out. You so, got
2: to cover him. That's, yeah. if, if you cover him, he can't dribble around you. Right. You just have to be willing to go all the way out on him. Don't let him shoot an open three. He, he made four of them the other night, three of them in a row in the first half. That really turns. He had a nine-point lead at halftime, Steve, and that's nine points that he provided with three threes late in that first half.
1: Well, if you think the Big Ten champion will have or champions will have five losses, Mm -hmm. you've got seven teams right now with five or less losses. So there's still still a lot to be uh, determined. Obviously, Illinois and Wisconsin both ten and three, Purdue ten and four, Michigan State eight and four, Ohio State seven and four, Rutgers eight and five, and Michigan seven and five. So if Michigan won't win it, but they might have a say who does, there's a lot to... Well,
2: I think that's true. They've already had a say yeah, exactly. the other night. That was terrific.
1: Some other notes uh, in uh, sports on this Saturday morning. The Bulls beat Minnesota 134-122 to 122 last night. Io back in the lineup. He missed a game uh, for uh, concussion uh, protocol. He had 14 points, 10 rebounds, played 41 minutes. Mm-hmm. He's having a heck of a rookie year, no doubt about that. Malcolm Hill played a little bit in that ballgame as Four minutes, well. I guess. Yeah. And uh, so uh, the Bulls get that win there. Softball season's underway for Illinois. They split yesterday down in Louisiana, beat Central Arkansas 9-0, and then lost to LSU 4-2.
2: Yeah, that was an interesting decision by the coach who – through uh, the senior Sydney Sickles, uh, five innings in the first game shutout against Central Arkansas. Now the, the you got rem- the host team LSU is top twenty in the nation, and they threw uh, Lauren Wilds in that game as opposed to Sickles and got beat forty-two. But uh, I, I'm surprised. I, I'm not surprised, but I, I think it's you know you, you wonder why she didn't throw Sickles in that second game uh, against uh, the ranked team. But uh, I'm sure she has an explanation.
1: Tennis: Michigan beat Illinois, four to one, in Ann Arbor yesterday late afternoon, early evening. Wrestling loses on the road
2: at Wisconsin, thirty-two to ten. Yeah, Lucas Bird's now seventeen and one, Steve, at hundred and thirty-three pounds, seventeen and one. In yeah, Urbana's, Lucas Luffman lost. Uh, I kind of follow him. I, mm-hmm. He's a big, heavyweight, and he lost ten to two to Trent Hilger from. Wisconsin.
1: But the Alana wrestling team just 1 6 in Big Ten play. Men's gymnastics taking on Oklahoma today. Some high school scores from last night. High school basketball season uh, getting closer and closer to uh, postseason action. Centennial beat Urbana 69 64. Richwoods over Champaign Central 55 47. Muhammad Seymour beat Taylorville 41 35. Meridian in double overtime over Tuscola, 81-73. to Jalen Quinn had 45 points in that game, in that double overtime game for Tuscola in a losing cause. Monticello now 25-3 and on the season with a win over St. Thomas More, 48-28. to PBL beat Chillicothe IVC, 64-47. It was Prairie Central over Iroquois West, 55-46. Unity beat St. Joe Ogden. Henry Thomas led the Rockets. Ty Pence was the leading scorer for the Spartans. Villa Grove over Argena Oriana, 71-68. Those are some of the high school scores from last night. You can read about those games and other games in uh, today's News Gazette.
2: And you have the women playing basketball today. They play Nebraska at 2 o'clock at the State Farm Center.
1: And they're back to play Monday night at home as well. Uh, There's a lot going on.
2: Yeah, there's I think they're trying play to play re- Ohio State Monday night. Yeah, they're trying to reshift the schedules around and make it uh, so everybody can get all the games in.
1: Yep, it is nine thirteen. We'll take our first time out on this edition of I Ipele Saturday Sports Talk. We're going to talk some NIL when we get back with Cam Cox from the U of I. Stay with us. We're back with more after this. It is nine fifteen. Alliance Ipele Saturday Sports Talk. Lawrence Tate, Steve Kelly. We're headed towards 11 o'clock. Phone line, as always, is open, 217-356-9397. In the studio with us this morning is Cam Cox from the University of Illinois Department of Intercollegiate Athletics. Good to see you again, Cam. Good morning.
4: Good to see you guys. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate We're to it. We're talk
1: some uh, NIL. We've had you on a time or two uh, since this got going in July, so that's, what, seven months ago. Just I'm guessing about. the landscape and all of this has changed a little bit over that time, right? <laughs>
4: Just a little bit, Steve. Just a little bit. It's uh, it's still new and it's still early, but already we're really starting to see a shift, kind of away from a broad focus on marketing and brand building, and closer to to something that's really designed to attract talent to uh to specific programs.
1: And that is this stuff that you anticipated, or are there things coming up that maybe you didn't anticipate?
4: Well, it, it is to some degree, I think. What was interesting was to see around the early football signing day across the country how important that NIL showed itself to be. There were programs that kind of hit above their weight class, a few that hit below their weight class. Obviously, there was kind of the specific instance of a a top five recruit flipping from Florida State to an HBCU. Um, And I think folks started to recognize that it was largely NIL opportunities or perceived NIL opportunities that were really moving the needle. And I give credit to Coach Underwood because back in the fall when he was on the recruiting trail heavily, he, he said it you know, flat out. He said, is NIL the biggest thing out there? Yes, absolutely. And I think at that time, Coach was, was really prescient in being able to see that, and now it's become very, very clear to me as I look at the national landscape.
2: Explain um, as best you can what you can offer and what you can't offer a recruit or a transfer student.
4: So when it comes to recruits and transfers, you're not going to be able to offer really anything. You can't set up an NIL activity as an inducement. That's um, to attend a certain school. And that's a restriction the NCAA has. It's also a restriction that exists in all the different state laws in the NIL space. And so that's a, a restriction that has been very, very important. Here's what you can do and what people are doing, what I think is very, very critical to do in order to kind of create and then maintain a competitive advantage. You have to create a structure around I.L. that is going to be able to attract talent.
2: Such as, uh, such as something that you might set up for five years, for example, could you do that? Set up, pay the offensive lineman for, um, I intend to pay offensive lineman for the next five years?
4: What you would do is you could pay all of the offensive linemen for this year and say and I hope that this continues to work in the future. Okay. And then what happens is if I'm an offensive lineman and say I'm a sophomore or junior in high school, I'm looking at U of I, and I say, "Wow, those guys are making what?" That's where I want to be. Where we go too far is when I go out and I identify you, and I'm like, "You're the best thing coming out of St. Joe in a long time." You come here, we're going to make sure you get this. That that's where we cross the line.
2: Have you? Um, are there situations where, uh, like all the offensive linemen at a school have been offered? I seem like I read that a while back.
4: You, you probably did. So I, I'll is that say Texas A and M, or it was at Texas. Texas. Um, Texas w- has has a a deal where it it, we'll talk about this in a second but in this nil space we're seeing a lot of kind of collective donor booster and fan activity um and and there's some really good work going on with respect to university of illinois in that space too but texas's kind of version of that has something where they're planning to give all of the offensive linemen five or five hundred thousand fifty thousand dollars a year um this year and and they didn't say anything about perpetuity right you know money kind of moves around but but i think the goal of that was to try to kind of attract offensive linemen. for And US that's account. everybody
2: that's on scholarship, right? That's not just the starters. That's
4: My understanding is that would be everyone who, who plays offensive line. They may even include walk-ons. I mean, that, that is supposed to include the entire offensive line based on what that announcement was, and that's what their plan is.
2: they got a lot of money down there, don't they? Quite a bit.
4: <laughs> I think everything's a little bit bigger in Texas, is it? So they do. They do. Um, but I think those are kind of bigger initiatives, but that's where the landscape has started to shift is how can we use NIL – as as something that creates a competitive advantage for our program. And one thing that encourages me is that U of I's got a huge alumni and fan base. And so there's an ability for Illinois fans to kind of pool together resources and say, you know what we can do? We can make sure that we can really advance our men's basketball program, advance our football program, and advance all of our programs, men's golf program, tennis, everything, um, by creating a structure where people can be excited about the NIL opportunities that exist here.
2: What do the players have to do? Let's just say at Texas, do the do the offensive linemen have to do anything or do they just get the money? Do they,
4: do they do. So one of the things that's also really important in the NIL space, and i got to remind everybody about this, is that you cannot have pay for play or pay for kind of athletic performance. The pay has to come for something else. And so what they're doing at Texas, for instance, and I know that some of the work the Illini Guardians are doing as well um, – Centers around uh, like charity-oriented work or community-oriented work. The goal is to say, okay, well, I- you're going to get your fifty thousand dollars, but we're going to come up with fifty thousand dollars worth of um, activities for your time that are going to help the community. So it's stuff like going to soup kitchens. It's stuff like reading to kids. It's stuff that is a little bit better than just kind of signing a basketball and calling. But well, it, a it looks
2: like it's only fractionally a part of fifty thousand. The charity work wouldn't really stack up to that much, would it?
4: Well, admittedly, probably not. But the idea is that, well, over the course of the year, you'll be doing five or six or seven or ten whatever activities. Those things will kind of put you out into the community, add some value to the community, and that's how you can earn your $50,000. But you're right. It's not, if I went out there as not an offensive lineman and did that, I don't think anybody would give me $50,000 for it.
1: We're talking NIL with Cam Cox from the U of I. Phone line is open, 217-356-9397. If you have any NIL questions, you mentioned Illini Guardians. Yeah. Uh, We had uh, Craig McDonald on a couple of weeks ago talking about uh, that organization. How does that work with the U of I? Uh, I know the U of I is okay with it, but does, it's not part of the U of I per se, so there's got to be a relationship there.
4: That's exactly right. So we I would go further. I wouldn't just say that we're okay with it. I'd say that we support it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very excited about that initiative because I know how important NIL is. I mean, I think there's a sense that, well, what can I do? How can I help for people out there listening? And I'll say that, you know, right now in the middle of February, and I think that this will continue to be true probably until about November. There's probably no better way to kind of help advance specifically the men's basketball program and the football program for kind of the average fan than supporting through NIL, and that's going to be giving money to the Illini Guardians, whatever it is that that you feel comfortable with. Um, The Illini Guardians is a third-party entity because one of the other rules here is that the universities and the athletic department cannot provide NIL compensation. And so what we're seeing across the country, even in the case of Texas or the group at Oregon or the group at Indiana, the group at Ohio State, is that there are these third-party entities that are kind of working, working to do that. And again, they're fan and donor kind of collectives.
2: How badly is this going to hurt donations?
4: You know, I, I actually don't think that it will. I think that we have a unique opportunity here to actually grow the pie. Um, and we've talked about that a lot in DIA kind of internally because w- what we're seeing is In this kind of ever-changing world of college athletics, the most important thing that you can do is make sure that you have really good product, right? you got to have a couple of really good teams. NIL gives us an opportunity to attract recruits in a really proximate sense and then make sure that we have really strong teams. You get strong teams, you get more attendance, more attendance and engagement, so we're not as concerned about that.
1: How is this kind of donation uh, governed? Is there anybody looking at it? Can it be? You know
4: what, wh- how so? What do you mean?
1: Well, uh, you know uh, what's what's legal, what's not.
2: Um, well, what, if somebody if, was going to do something illegal, would you know about it?
4: Well, I- if it was if it were through the guardians, I wouldn't know about it because a part of that kind of division is that they kind of they are the ones who make the decisions about who gets the money, who gets how much money, that kind of thing. And as so they, opposed
2: to open doors, you do know.
4: As opposed to open doors, I know. Now, I'll know on the back end because every every rule still applies in terms of uh, NIL disclosures and stuff like that for student athletes. But I guess to your question, it might be a bit late at that point.
2: So it, so, so it is disclosed. after. I mean, yeah. I, I'm interested, Steve's interested. How yeah. much is Kofi going to get this year? How much is he going to make? So, so, I, so won't, I won't it,
4: disclose that, but it'll it, – Will it, you know a, it? I, I will know that after the fact. So what happens is, I'll tell you, so Kofi, will, he'll get a deal, and then he will actually disclose that after he's signed the deal and say, well, here's how much I'm going to make for um, what I'm doing with TCCI manufacturing, for instance. Um, and I'll say, okay, that's that number. And then here's how much I'm going to make for the OSF deal. And I say, oh, okay, that's, that's that number. And then I kind of start to piece that together. Um, I think it, it's not clear where that number will land. I will say that One of the most important things to Kofi deciding whether he wants to come back or not, and I haven't talked to him directly about this, but I know this, right? He's a sensible person, is going to be NIL compensation. And giving money to the Illini Guardians is going to be the best way of the fans kind of working to try to get our big guy back.
2: It's pretty safe to say it'll be six
4: figures, isn't it? It's real safe to say that. (laughs) It's real, real safe to say that.
2: 925,
1: we've got a couple of phone callers on the line. Let's start with John. Go ahead, John. You're on the air with us. Yes. Go ahead.
5: Got a quick question? Yes, got a question. Um, it, tax question number one: Is there any tax benefit to a donor? And number two: How how is this how is this handled with with the student athletes? Will they receive a ten ninety nine? Who issues a ten ninety nine? How is the government going to get their cut out of this? Uh, obviously, their parents will lose uh, their 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 student deduction. Uh, just kind of curious as to how all that's going to work uh, as far as the accounting goes.
4: Yeah, good question. Thanks a lot, John. Um, so I'll say that when a fan or when a business would like to work with student athletes for NIL purposes, it isn't a, a, like a charitable donation in the way of like a 501c3 or something like that. Um, businesses have the opportunity to kind of leverage it, it as a business deduction. Um, when it comes to kind of a fan, it, it's just uh, considered to be a normal expense. So if you go out and you say, hey, oh, my gosh, it would be so great if Andre Bello could sign this ball for, for my daughter, um, Bello might do it, say it costs however much it does. That That's not um, tax deductible in that sense. Um, on the back end I'll say that yeah, student athletes have to pay taxes on all this money. They will receive ten ninety nines from those businesses. They have to kind of report all of this as income. And that's a lot of the work that I do. The kind of the other part of my job is making sure that our student athletes are educated and empowered and feel like they can actually handle that. I'll say I've been impressed with their ability to honestly save money. I don't know if I was as good <laughs> as they were at that age, but save money kind of – I think we've hit that so hard that, you know, honestly, look, Kofi, you're going to have to pay taxes at the end of this stuff. He's like, okay, 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 I know, I know, right? Um, And, and so it, that has been squarely on their radar, but thank you for bringing that up because it's a really important point.
2: Let, let me uh, bring up a point. I know that the scholarship – I'm on scholarship, full scholarship, to play uh, gymnastics for Illinois, Okay. <laughs>
1: That's not a pretty picture.
2: <laughs> I've got 100% scholarship, which nobody does, but I would have 100%. Okay, I don't have to pay taxes on that. Right. But if you give me $100,000 in an NIL, part of my scholarship, I read this, part of the scholarship goes in to be taxed as part, as part of my overall income for the year.
4: Right. So what, what happens, in gymnastics is a great example, is that If there's any part of your scholarship that is need-based, obviously that is calculated based on how much your income was. But if you earn significant NIL income, that becomes a part of that calculation. And so there is the potential that you could earn a significant amount of NIL income to actually jeopardize the need-based part of your scholarship. What is fortunate is that we haven't heard those horror stories across the country yet. It's actually different person by person. Um, And so we've made sure to kind of educate on the front end about that. We've worked with our uh, financial aid office on that, too. And I think everybody's aligned.
1: Anything else, John? No, that's it. Thank you. Yep. Appreciate the call. Let's go to Dirk. colleague from Chicago. Go ahead, Dirk. Yeah, good morning.
6: Is there a deadline for when these uh, numbers have to be disclosed? My understanding is it's an Illinois state law that, the nil amounts have to be disclosed at some point um and i don't know if there's a big 10 rule regarding that but um is, is there like a you know date certain by which future uh seven foot two centers can figure out how much they might <laughs> get here
4: so the the nil activity has to be you're right it's, it's state law and thanks Dirk. but the nil activity has to be disclosed to the institution but We, as a matter of our policy, don't disclose it to the public. That's why I didn't tell Lauren how much Kofi's made so far. (laughs) Um, That's kind of the way that we handled that. Um, But, you know, I think it's all an estimate, and this is still kind of a moving target. So even when you know 7 foot big man decides hey what do i think i can expect to make it's not it's not all set or it's not all you know established up front but it's creating a structure that is going to be attractive for him to want to return because he can say oh wow i see how much support exists with the line i guardians i know that these people are guys who want to make sure that that conversation gets to me okay this this is something i can sign up for for another year
2: in regard to kofi have you analyzed how much he might make for instance in uh, g league or in Europe to uh, to see, use as a comparison to what he would make could make here?
4: I've thought about that, but uh, it is a part of his decision, and I don't know that that decision is always entirely monetary, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Kofi loves the U of I, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a sense of, well, maybe if I could make this here, and I might make this in the G League, and if I went to the G League, I go to the pro, but I love the U of I, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, there's a sense of, well, how how close am I to getting my degree? There's there's a, a lot of stuff that goes there. So and how say,
2: close is he to being able to play in the NBA? And how close am <laughs> I to the
4: NBA? Right. It and maybe I maybe I want to be in Spain, right? Maybe I don't like Spain because I don't want to speak Spanish. Right. There's all this different <laughs> stuff. Um and, and so I say that to say I thought in the general sense about comparing numbers, but because there's so much more that I know goes into that discussion for, you know, him as a young man, I don't get too much into the well, we can beat this or we can beat that. I do think though, because of the size of the fan base and the alumni base, that if folks are focused on this issue and they understand how important NIL is, specifically for our men's basketball program and our football program to get that competitive advantage, that we can beat out any foreign league out there.
1: This is 931. Anything else, Dirk, on your mind?
6: No, I'm just uh, curious about the decision to keep these numbers uh, secret, um, given that some schools, I think, that information has come out, and
4: there have been some pretty large numbers. And
2: uh, Yeah, they're so. proud of them. They want everybody to know.
4: Right. That's a part of creating that, uh, that attractive structure because some of those numbers uh, haven't been real. <laughs> I'll just tell you, um, or they make me think that they haven't been real at a lot of the other schools just because I think, well, that, that's a big number and that sounds really cool. I mean, I remember um, some of the early days of NIL. I think it was in the, the first week. And uh, Alabama coach Nick Saban was like, well, Bryce Young's made almost a million dollars. And it was like, well, that seems a bit strange because it's only been possible for the last three days. Right. Um, <laughs> now, to believe that he's made a million dollars now, well, maybe so, right? Um, but I, And so that doesn't that, – I don't want you you to make wonder. a liar out of Coach Saban, right? But it, it's it, – a lot of that is to say when I'll, – I'll tell you this, Dirk. When he said that, he was out recruiting that day in Texas, right? (laughs) And so there was a reason why he was making that statement at that particular time. And so don't put too much in that stuff.
1: Hey, Dirk, we appreciate the call. Thank you very much. We'll keep Cam around a little bit longer if you have any calls. We'll take a break here, though, at the bottom of the hour on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Back after this. It is 9.35 Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly. With you until 10. Phone line's still open and we'll be all during the show. 217-356-9397. 217-356-9397. Cam Cox is our guest, talking about NIL this morning. A lot uh, to cover there. We mentioned the Alani Guardians, which is a new organization. And it's not only for uh, for corporates or corporations or uh, big uh, big money folks. Uh, it, the average fan could get involved in that, uh, Cam, in, in various different ways. With a one-time... Uh, pledge, or even a monthly uh, situation, right?
4: That's absolutely right. I think uh, one of the beauties of the structure that that Craig McDonald and those guys were able to put together is that it's really open-ended. Some of these other groups across the country, I think about what's going on at Washington, I think about what's going on at South Carolina and a couple other places, Kentucky, um, those collective entities are kind of a closed circuit. So if the three of us said, we're going to put together all of our money, we're going to call it a collective, good enough. But what's even better and what the Guardians have done is made it, well, us three are going to put together our money, but we're going to make it where other people can chip in. And so obviously everyone kind of has a different level of tolerance and, you know, a different level of interest. And and I understand that. But really, if you want to give five dollars or five hundred thousand dollars to NIL to kind of help create that competitive advantage right now, the Illini Guardians is the best way to do that. Um, I think the fact that the contributions can be so broad is great and and. I really encourage everyone to get involved in that way. I think that putting all the money into one collective pot, and then those are people that we trust, and like I said, as a university, we kind of support that entity. Um, allowing them to divvy it up is, is totally great.
1: How does a coach respond to a potential question from a recruit or a recruit's family? Well, what do you got for me? What can I do? What am I going to be able to make it uh, with NIL? Can the, the, where does the coach go with that conversation or that question?
4: That's a great question and one that our coaches ask all the time um, because recruits ask, and, and it's it's tough because our coaches really can't answer that question directly. What they do is they say, this is the structure that can support you. And they say, this is a structure that we believe is well-funded. They say, our, the people on our team this year have made this. They say, well, we think that someone who is in your space across the country and in the Big Ten would make something like this. What so the think- coach
2: knows how much Kofi's making or how much Corbello or – or trends making?
4: We in the athletic department do have that information. Yes. Okay. So the the coach would would have a concept of that, but again, the coach can't go so far as to promise it. Um, and and it would also be kind of irresponsible to do that because it's really hard to say, particularly with NIL being so new. I know the landscape has moved so much, and it I probably seem like I've aged since I met you all the first time. <laughs> um, but it, it, the coach can't really estimate. Okay, well, this person's going to make this. This person's going to make that but they can feel like, well, look, if, if we get a five-star guard in here, that they're going to get some good compensation because we've got, the you know, Guardians guardian supporting us. We've got groups like Brander with, with kind of group licensing. We've got a whole lot of activity around the NIL space. And so if you come here, you can expect that you're going to have a, a better situation than you will if you go someplace else.
1: I don't see any gray hairs up there yet. We'll, we'll keep an eye <laughs> on that for you along the way. Let's go back to the phones in Florida. Mark is with us. Go ahead, Mark.
5: Hey, good morning. Uh, I had a quick question, Uh, your guest had mentioned several other schools and kind of has a pretty good handle on what they're doing, but what I want to know from that is, as best he can tell, where does Illinois rank in the power structure of NIL?
4: That's a great question, thanks a lot Mark. Um, I I think that we are hitting above our weight class, but we still have, like I said, there's an opportunity to grow the pie here, and I think that we still have a lot of opportunity to go up. What you're seeing, and this is why it doesn't concern me as much, kind of a nuanced point, is that some of the best players in the NIL space, they're already at the tip top and and they're really trying to maintain um, the advantage that they have at the absolute top of, you know, kind of the, the college sports world. What we're doing is we're actually trying to build our advantage in a lot of ways and get to the tip top. So I think about basketball, and we're really close to the tip top. I think about football, and I think that we're moving up. Um, but we have a lot of growth potential, and it's through NIL that we'll go up. I compare that to folks down there in your neck of the woods, at the Gator Collective, what they're doing down there at Florida. That's really an effort to kind of hold on to, to a position as opposed to we're really trying to grow here. Um, so like I said, I think we're hitting above our weight class, but I think that there's still some some uh, headway to be made.
2: Uh- I right, thank you. Yep, thanks, Mark. People call all in from time to time. Won't won't this create a problem of jealousy on the team, you know, with one player getting more than another? And I I think, well, right away, well, one player gets more playing time than another. Is there anything like that that you've seen that's evolved out of this?
4: Interestingly, no. Um, Weirdly, not. It was something that I know our coaches were worried about, and I was concerned about too, kind of at the beginning of the NIL era. But I think with players, I think they're so used to dealing with that with playing time. Obviously, with some of our sports, they're so used to dealing with that with scholarships, which are, of course, another form of money. Um, I think that they're used to dealing with that with different types of attention and coach attention and stuff like that. And so it hasn't really affected them as much as maybe I would think. I guess, you know, my first analog when I think about compensation and particularly significant compensation is the pros. And and there's not as much of that sense, too. Um, So I, I don't know. Maybe they're just built different. But I think that. The team is always always sees itself as one community. I'll tell you one thing that I think our team, particularly our men's basketball team, has done a good job of is that kind of the court is the court, and off the court is off the court, right? And so there, there's not as much of a focus on, oh, well, well, this is going on for you off the court, or that's going on for you off the court, because it's like, we got to focus on what's going on now and winning these games. So folks have been been really good about that.
1: Back to the coaches, though. if I mean, You've got a lot of coaches that are out there recruiting, and they get asked that question, what's their answer going to be? It's, well, we've got Let me get back to you. We've got people that handle that. How does that work?
4: So what they they would do is they would actually explain the structures here and why those structures are the best in the country Mm -hmm. in terms of supporting people in the NIL space. I think if a recruit says, hey, you know, can I make $250,000 here? It's one of those things you're like, look, I mean, I, I can't promise you But I I think that there's a potential for you to make a significant amount of compensation above the the number that you just threw out there. And they say, well, what about 500? And you'd say, look, again, I can't – it's too early to say. But, I mean, a guy of your caliber with with the eyes that are on you, you know, say you're a five-star guard, whatever – Yeah, I think that you you probably have the ability to make a a whole lot of money here, right? And so there's kind of this weird song and dance. um, And and just the way the NIL rules are set up across the country, not just here in Illinois, but the way that our rules in Illinois have been mimicked elsewhere, that's the way that kind of the song and dance is supposed to go.
1: By the way, Lauren, uh, contributions are coming in for your gymnastics uh, scholarship. (laughs) (laughs) One text here, with NIL, how much longer will the NCAA be relevant? Power Five conferences could handle this on their own
4: that is a great question and speaks to the larger layers and levels of disruption that exist in the college sports world right now nil is really just one of a a handful of eight or nine really really big issues nil would be the biggest issue of the in the world if it wouldn't if it wasn't for conference realignment if it wasn't for the new ncaa constitution if it wasn't for the alston case if it wasn't for the one-time transfer rule all these other things um and i think all of it kind of questions the structure that we have in terms of specifically the relationship between the large conferences and the NCAA. Um, I, I hate to say this, but unfortunately, I think that question is just above my pay grade. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just not really clear, right. but I do think that um, NIL is, is a part of that, and the NCAA is working on how to how do we rethink w- what we kind of know and love as college sports, and, and all those questions are on the table right
2: what now. What have you really learned in, in the last six months about this? What, I mean, different than what you thought about it when you started.
4: That's a that's a a question I I appreciate, Lauren. I'd say um, the biggest thing I've learned is that NIL has the ability to move the needle in the short term. I think we always focus on we want to make sure we're building the best program because we want to have the best coaches, we want to have the best facilities, we want to have um, a supportive fan base, and those things are really really important. Um, But NIL is almost like a a quick fix to some smaller problems, right? Where I think about our men's basketball team this year. And and I want you to imagine a world where it's the exact same team, but we don't have Kofi. And you're like, oh, man, right? That's one guy. Now, I want you to think about the team as it is. And somehow we still do have Io You're like, oh, man, like, it's definitely the best team, like immediately. Um, And so NIL kind of gives you the opportunity to kind of say, well, if I can attract one more person it's really, really important. Or if I can just attract just two more defensive linemen, like something like that. Um, And it's not as big as a facility campaign, which takes a long time to both, you know, kind of envision and then fund and then actually build. Um, And and that also attracts recruits, but it's in a different way. So I think what I've really gotten over these last few months has been an appreciation for the power of NIL as kind of a, a little scalpel that can fix really, really big problems.
1: And another text, uh, kind of along the same lines, the number one recruiting tool for the Illini right now is the Bulls connection with uh, Io and Malcolm Hill, both on the Bulls roster. Uh, The NIL is kind of a cherry on top, so that's kind of related, but uh, certainly a good point about uh, having two Illinois guys on on the home state pro NBA team.
4: Absolutely. A a great point. And I mean, that's that's something Coach Underwood said when he said, um, is NIL the biggest thing out there? Yes. I think the next sentence he said was what folks all want to know about in the men's basketball circuit is NIL and the NBA. Right. (laughs) I mean, and I think that that makes sense to me. It's how how much money could I think I'm going to make in the short term and how much money you're going to maybe set me up to make in the long term. So I absolutely think that Iowa has has helped our recruiting a whole lot.
1: Here's another text. Very happy that athletes are getting money. But it seems the schools who are cheating already are licking their chops.
4: Yeah, that, that, it's hard to say. It, it's hard to say because different state laws are different. And so what would be, I wouldn't say necessarily cheating, but illegal actually here in Illinois, it, it might be legal in, in Alabama. It might be legal in Texas. It might be legal in Georgia. All um, the rules aren't the same, are they? All the rules aren't exactly the same. Um, I, I do think that because there isn't, the level of enforcement that there traditionally is with, with NCAA rules that folks can sometimes be a little bit loose. And and I wouldn't say they're necessarily licking their chops because some of the biggest beneficiaries of NIL have, have often been those who kind of push back on where it's going. Right. So. Um, I'll say like Kirby Smart down at Georgia or Nick Saban at Alabama recently made comments that said, hey, look, we support NIL, but these guardrails are actually really important when those are two guys who, if there were no guardrails, could really just take this thing all the way to the next level. So I wouldn't say they're necessarily licking their chops, but I think it goes back to the same thing I keep hitting on that. There's so much opportunity in this space, and the closer you look at it, the more you say, wow, in this moment of disruption, this is where we can really kind of catch up and capitalize, and there's a real opportunity, and people are uh, people are trying to be forceful with that.
1: When Brad Underwood said NIL is the biggest thing out there, does that knock the transfer portal off that uh, biggest thing out there, or they're, they're kind of 1A and 1B, aren't they?
4: I'd say they're 1A and 1B. Yeah. I mean, be, because of the transfer portal and NIL actually work together because basically there's the potential that... You could get players in a way that was never um, possible before, and a potential that you could lose players in a way that was never possible before. In NIL, that's what I said, it's not just about creating that advantage, it's about maintaining it, right? So, just like we want to make sure that we have an attractive structure for recruits, we want to make sure we have an attractive structure for our three freshmen that are playing really well, right? Our handful of sophomores that are playing really well because we're thinking, hey, you know, this year we're, we're kind of an older team, but. Next year, year after that, it seems going to be led by guys like Coleman and guys like Luke and guys like RJ. Like they're they're going to play an even bigger role, and we got to make sure that 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 continues to that nil continues to be something that makes them want to be here.
1: Hey Cam, we always appreciate seeing you and getting an, getting an update on this. And it sounds like it might be something we we'll want to do on a regular basis down the road and see how things are going. But uh, a good uh, six, six and a half, seven month update. We appreciate it.
4: Thank you all. I really appreciate it.
1: Cam Cox, and we'll take a break and be back with more at 9.48 here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Stay with us. 9.50 is the time. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Thanks to Cam Cox for taking time out on this Saturday morning to come in and talk IL. Some interesting stuff there.
2: Oh, I'll say. I mean, it's, uh, It was interesting. He said, yeah, Hacopi's uh, already in six figures. That's that's more than a hundred thousand. It might be more than two hundred. Might be more than three hundred. We don't know.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because he's got you know he's what is he twenty two now, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the NBA is is such an on the come young guy league. You wonder what what his clock is like uh, regarding that.
2: Well, he will get a reading, Steve, uh, before the draft. This is like he did this year, that will indicate to him where he stacks up. And if he doesn't stack up as a draftee, mm-hmm. I think, this is just me personally, that Illinois has many more benefits than the G League. Those being, there's only one deficit for for Kofi uh, about, about Illinois, and that's he has to go to class. Right. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, if he went to G League, it'd be strictly basketball. But, when you see, I saw a game. Well, okay, I just saw a game the other day where the the crowd rushed the court. The the fans were Purdue. I mean, just imagine the 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 atmosphere there. You don't have that atmosphere in the G League. Right? It is not. It does not exist. And you wouldn't have the oh the, the, the you wouldn't have the status in the community and in the you know and of course in the, within the university that you would have. If you go to the G League, you're kind of you're just playing basketball and that's right. it and hoping to be to get to the NBA, which is nothing wrong with that. But uh, there are four players uh, from uh, the team that I call the elite teams that are now playing uh, that are associated with the G League. They don't have the following, Steve. They don't have you are out there playing like it's in the pandemic. There's no crowds. I mean, there are a few people, but there are no crowds like we have in bas- college basketball.
1: Right. There's a lot of guys. And I don't follow the NBA. Well, I, actually, I follow it a little closer this year because of the I.O. factor. I pay more attention to the, what the Bulls are doing. But there's a lot of names in the NBA that of guys I've never heard of.
2: You better believe it.
1: And they're coming from the G League. They're coming from you overseas. you got over 100 that are foreigners. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, there, I mean, there's just a lot of good basketball players out there and then getting to the nba is not an easy thing to do uh, without a doubt one other basketball scheduling note you may have seen this uh, the game next saturday a week from today against michigan state has been uh, changed time-wise it's going up to an 11 o'clock game that's in east lansing it was one thirty, i think on the uh, previous schedule but they're having to redo some of the schedules There's
2: several schedules being changed college schedule did i mention that uh Ethan Blackaby passed away. You have not. We mentioned uh, it off than, the air too. More TV. than a century ago, he's a great all-around athlete, and he attended the University of Illinois. And I kind of remember him as a baseball player. I, I hope I don't have him mixed up, but uh, I think that's. Uh, I think he was a good friend of Dave Downey, but in any case, um, he did pass away.
1: You also told me something I don't think I knew. If I did, I forgot it. That Dave Downey once once had a uh, minor league baseball team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: That's what I thought. You know, Steve, my memory's not perfect, and I kind of remember Ethan Blackaby being associated with Dave Downey's minor league baseball team. But I, I would want to check it before. <laughs> I should check it before I said it. <laughs> well, that's good. That's that's
1: something I learned there today. Nine fifty four coming up in the second hour. We'll begin the second hour with Will Leach. He is at the Super Bowl. Oh, there is a Super Bowl game tomorrow, isn't there? I heard that. <laughs> the Bengals and the Rams. The Rams are it's favored.
2: It's 5.30, so you can go to the Illinois game and yes, see the Super Bowl.
1: Perfect timing. Illinois plays at 1 o'clock against Northwestern. We'll talk more about that ball game coming up a little bit later on as well with uh, Dave Ennett, who was the voice of the Northwestern Wildcats for uh, several years now. And he'll give us an update on uh, a team that's won three straight games, Northwestern. They had lost all those close games before.
2: They've had a million close games, haven't they? I, I there was some kind of a stat that they had on the Big Ten network that I was stunned by and it was like like five wins and twenty five or more losses in games decided by what, five points or so, six five, six, seven, eight, maybe single figures, I'm not sure, but it was it was a. they were losing the close games. Cut. And they were losing a lot of them right at the end.
1: I got a question for you and our listeners, and we'll I'll give you a little time to ponder this, and we'll talk about it uh, later on in the next hour. Last uh, week we were talking about the rivalries, and we talked about that a little bit this morning as well. And every once in a while, who's the the best Illinois quarterback that comes up? And that's always a good conversation, Uh, best running back and such. How about if you had to pick one Illinois basketball player, say there was a Mount Rushmore, and you could get one Illinois basketball player on that, who would it be? Everybody's going to have an opinion on this, and I don't think there's any right answer. But it's awful difficult to come up with one guy. And you know, a lot of people are saying, "Well, what about I O? He's playing right now with the Bulls and doing well, and he was the face of the program." But there's so much history here that it makes it really difficult.
2: Boy, oh boy, that I almost
1: uh, stumped you there, didn't we?
2: Well, yeah, because Darren Williams has, has certainly had a great run and and took Illinois to the final championship game. And I think he was more responsible for that than anyone on the team. I think better, more so than D. I D. was a terrific player, yep. and Augie was great, and Powell was great, and you know they had a really good team. But I just, um, I, I, did anybody ever? Here's a here's a a statement in behalf of Kofi. I don't think he's great by NBA standards. But he sure makes everybody else better when he's on the court. Well, he makes all his teammates, more so than I'm almost anybody I could ever remember, because he spread. They sp- they can spread out when they throw the ball to him. They got to have two guys on him. Now there are a couple teams that can maybe maybe Arizona with Coloco can play him one on one, but not many teams can.
1: Well, I started thinking about this. That's where I started because I think we've come to the point where. We would agree that Kofi is the best big man, the best center Illinois has ever had. Um, then I thought, well, what about the best over <laughs> the best basketball player? Because the center is it's hard to come up with that because you've yeah. got
2: uh, and, and you're, you're big men a, who
1: weren't centers, but were always effective.
2: affected by how they play when they get out of college. And, yes, you know, and we've had guys like uh, Red Kerr that was. It got better every year from '52 on. '53 was better, and '54 was Big Ten mm-hmm. MVP, and uh, goes in the in, in the in the NBA and was a standout for a number of years. And so some guys get better and better and better. And then Dion is that Illinois in scoring, but he didn't make it in the NBA. And he's a terrific, he was a terrific college player. And uh, you know, uh, you know, if you're talking about centers. Uh, I, I, the Therene rebounding thing has always been a yeah. uh, a consideration, but if you would go back and count the number of shots taken in those years, as opposed to the number of shots taken now, you'd be st- stunned.
1: And when you think about rebounding, Harry numbers, wanted
2: to get 100 shots. Yeah. That was the goal. That means a lot of missed shots. <laughs> <laughs> that means a lot of misses. And they didn't shoot as high as they do now.
1: And a lot of rebounds,
2: right. And a lot of rebounds.
1: But when you start thinking rebounds, you think of guys who weren't centers, but they were I mean, look at Nick Weatherspoon. Mm. He averaged 11 rebounds for his career
2: per game. He was really tough. Yeah. Strong.
1: Ephraim Winters. He didn't mm. play center because he had George Montgomery there. But uh, well, he, he played did play center in the yeah. sense
2: that he, he played the post. He, yeah. did, he wasn't out on the floor. Right. Uh, and you know, they just had a double post. That's basically Well, what they, they did. They had. He had
1: that 15 foot jumper down pretty good, too. Ephraim yep. Winters did. He could yep. hit that. And you think about Ken, uh, Ken Norman. Mm hmm. As a, as a rebounder. He wasn't a center, but he was a nope. post guy too. But anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out. And you guys uh, listening, guys and gals can think about that and give us a call a little bit later on if you'd like to. It is a 959 WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. We'll take a break. and be back. We'll talk some Super Bowl with Will Leach. Maybe we'll ask him that Illinois basketball question too. He's mm-hmm. been following it a long time. We'll get his opinion On that and some other things as well, stay with us for hour number two of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this.
0: It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly.
1: And welcome back to the show. 1002, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Mr. Tate, Mr. Kelly, with you until 11 o'clock. Hour number one is in the books. Had a nice uh, conversation with Cam Cox from the U of I on NIL. A lot of good uh, phone calls, good questions there. I got a question for you, Lauren. Yes. Did you know that Alani um, Pella Saturday Sports Talk has a Super Bowl correspondent?
2: Yeah, in in at the Super Bowl yeah, right he's, now. Yeah, he's uh,
1: with us this morning, Will Leach. Good morning, Will. How are you?
7: Pretty good. I appreciate you guys uh, paying for my flight and hotel. I appreciate you guys doing that.
1: Yeah, I just said that to, to LBT and uh <laughs> LBT Enterprises, he'll take care of you. How,
2: how many days must you okay. – how, how, if you go to the NCA tournament this year in New Orleans, you must have four days. You pay for four days of hotels. How many days do you have to pay for uh, Super Bowl?
7: Uh, it's a minimum of six. It's a minimum of six. And some people have been out here longer than that. I got out here on, uh, on Tuesday, so I'll be coming back after that. I'm actually driving – through the desert right now my father was in las vegas so i went to visit him uh had a night off from work last night so i uh, went to visit him and driving through so I'll, if i if i run into an armadillo i'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you if I, <laughs> he said hi Lawrence. that'd be
1: that'd be breaking <laughs> news there um <laughs> what's your assignment what uh you're, you're covering the super bowl in what way what are you looking for in your uh, adventure there
7: yeah, you know, I'm writing for New York Magazine and for uh, for GQ Magazine, and basically, you know, it. This is really, in a lot of ways, the first. Well, I hate to say real Super Bowl, but certainly, uh, you know, this is definitely the most back to normal Super Bowl I think we've seen since the pandemic. You know, I think that last year they had reduced capacity, they had a bunch of cardboard fans last year, and uh, and you know, it, it, that was kind of a truncated, weird season. I think there's no question that this is a Super Bowl where you know, things feel pretty back to normal. And I think even in a place like Los Angeles where they've had a lot more COVID restrictions than say Florida or uh, Texas or uh, in a lot of other states, it, it really, it really does feel like a pretty, uh, uh, a normal Super Bowl. which is to say that uh, uh, all, all the excesses are there. Uh, everyone's selling something. Everyone's mad at Roger Goodell. Like it definitely feels like life has uh, gotten back to normal a little bit. So I think uh, people are excited out there and, and, you know, also I think a big part of the story here is, you know, the Super Bowl and the NFL's big return and embrace of Los Angeles. You know, I think that, that Los Angeles, of course, was without a team for 21 years, and there was often a discussion like, does, does Los Angeles even need the NFL? Does the NFL need Los Angeles? And then, you know, you see this incredible stadium. And I have to say, like, there, that SoFi Stadium, it, looks like, it really looks like something from like an alien movie. It is one of the most incredible feats of architecture of a stadium I've ever seen. It's really, really an impressive thing. And the NFL has moved a lot of its base of operations to Los Angeles. So uh, I, I think uh, you know the first Super Bowl was in Los Angeles. Uh, they, after being away from Los Angeles for a long time, I think this is, uh, this is very much a big NFL-Los uh, Angeles thing. And I think you're going to see the Super Bowl in Los Angeles probably once every five or six years. I think it'll be in the regular rotation now, and they're really embracing that this week.
2: Well, who do you favor in the game? Can Cincinnati pull it off?
7: I'd like to. To be honest, I'm a, i I got enough connection to St. Louis that rooting for the Rams is mm-hmm. outside of my purview. <laughs>
2: yeah, right. Uh,
7: and, rooting for, and rooting for Stan Kroenke at the, at the, at the very least. But uh, I'm impressed by Burrow. I feel like that, that's been mentioned a few times. But it's really remarkable to think that you know four and a half years ago, he was, uh, Urban Meyer had him as a backup. And, mm. uh, and now he's he's got a chance uh, in that four and a half years to become the first quarterback ever to win a Heisman Trophy, a national championship, and the Super Bowl. No one's ever done that. That's truly kind of remarkable for him to do that in such a short amount of time. I think he's got the capability of doing it. He's got the guys for it. I think the offensive line's a problem. And I think, you know, you saw that even, uh, in the Tennessee game that they won. He was just being barraged. And, and, and the problem is that is, the Rams' strength. That is what they have better than anything else, starting with Aaron Donald. But they've got a lot of guys like that. I mean, when Tom Brady retired, one of the things he said was, uh, uh, you know, he he was worried what the Rams' defensive line was going to do to his 44-year-old body. And I get it. And so I think that uh, when you you put that combination of what the Bengals' weaknesses is and what the Rams' strength is, uh, I I think it's going to be pretty tough. For Burrow, I think he he's in a really good spot. I think he has a, I, I I certainly think there's a, an argument to be made that Matthew Stafford. Uh, we've seen him make some mistakes at different at tough times, and if that if that uh, uh, San Francisco defensive back would have caught that interception, we're talking about San Francisco versus Cincinnati right now. So I think that, uh, that there's mistakes that could be made by Stafford, even though know, he's generally been pretty good. I just think that 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 signature matchup of the Rams defensive front against the Bengals offensive line is going to make things really hard uh, for the Bengals, and so I, it provides me no joy. And I certainly hope that Sam Cronky does not get to smile at all. <laughs> well, but, uh, I, I do think that uh, I do think the Rams have got to be favored.
2: Don't you think there are some people in St. Louis that still pull for the Rams, though? Are 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 are, are we against the Rams because they left? Which which is it?
7: It's not just that they left. Leaving is fine. Like, listen, I'm still an Arizona Cardinals fan and from when they left St. Louis. So I understand leaving. But, you know, when, when he left, remember, like, the reason they're have out Los Angeles in the first place is when t- in 2014, while he was owning the Rams, they had a contract with the city of St. Louis and said they weren't leaving. He just randomly bought a bunch of land where a football stadium might be in Los Angeles and said, oh, no, 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 don't pay any attention to what's happening over there. And then a year later, he's breaking that contract. And not just that. On the way out, one of the arguments he made for leaving was he claimed that St. Louis would not be able to support a football team, and I think it's one thing to to leave fans in the lurch; it's another thing to insult them and try to try to spoil the, toys poison the well on your way out. And I think that is uh, pretty clearly what he did. And you know, honestly, uh, I, one thing that's been real funny this week, you know, in that NFC Championship game, uh, it was a very weird experience because it was in Los Angeles. But every time the 49ers would get a sack, uh, half the place erupted, more than half the place erupted. There's a lot more 49ers fans there than there were Rams fans. I think that the Rams have talked about how, you know, it takes a while to build a fan base. It's going to take us some time. That's a courtesy they never extended to St. Louis. So uh, I think that uh, – listen, there's a lot of likable players on the Rams, and I I, I don't think that, like, necessarily the – the players, or the organization, or the coaches are, I don't really, it's hard to have anything against them, but the way that that thing was hailed on the way out from St. Louis, uh, I, I can understand people having a lot of hard feelings.
1: Talking to Will Leach, who also writes for MLB.com, and the baseball talks are supposed to resume today with the players and owners. Are you at all enthused or optimistic about uh, some of the stuff you heard this week?
7: Uh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm not optimistic at all. In fact, I think I think that, you know, I think what was an interesting kind of ploy, I think, that uh, that the commissioner's office did on Thursday, you know, I think everyone was expecting Rob Manfred on Thursday to say spring training is going to be postponed. Uh, it's really hard because just out of a matter of, you know, fact, like, I mean, the, the pitchers and catchers are supposed to report next Friday, and they're not even – no one's even been meeting. So I, I think the, the assumption that spring training is going – is going to be postponed, I think everybody knows. That's going to have to happen. So they were kind of expecting him to say that on Thursday. But what he did, which was kind of an interesting negotiating ploy, is he went out and said, no, we're not ready to say that yet. We're going to meet with the players on Saturday, and hopefully we're going to get somewhere. And I'm optimistic that something will happen. Well, the problem is the, the issue right now is not that the players are, uh, uh, and owners are having a hard time coming to uh, – are, 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 are really far apart. The players can't even get the owners to give them a proposal. And so I think that uh, what you're going to see is today when they're meeting, I think the owners are going to give a proposal that's really not any different than what they were given before. And the players are going to be like, you're not seriously negotiating. And then the commissioner is going to say, oh, now I got to postpone spring training because those players just wouldn't meet us halfway. And I think that's what you're going to see today. And it's a shame, you know, because we've talked about this for a long time. Players and owners are not Actually, that far apart on the issues. You can look uh, where they are, and 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 where how close they are on certain issues, and you can see where the midpoint is, or even maybe even uh, uh, There's it, not a lot of backing off that either side really would have to do. The issue is, frankly, the owners are just almost they're just not negotiating. <laughs> they're not really they're not really changing. Their, they they are they think they can get everything they want by waiting the players out, and unfortunately. Waiting the players out uh, means postponing free trading and ultimately could mean postponing games. So I, I'm sad to say I'm not optimistic, and it's particularly frustrating because they're not far apart. <laughs> this should not be this difficult. And it, it's really frustrating. And it feels like they're, they're, everything is just posturing rather than negotiating. And, and I mean, it's been two months of this. They, they've really barely talked for two and a half months. And that, I think it's becoming increasingly clear. That's more on the owners than it is on the players.
2: Will, do you get the feeling that the baseball is falling? And this is another case of, of why baseball is falling behind football and basketball professionally, in terms of fan support.
7: You know, I think it's. I mean, it's clearly already fallen behind football. Uh, it's still ahead of basketball, and and I think they get lost sometimes. You know, if you look, look, people talk. I because I think NBA has a lot of juice. You know, it's kind of young people like, uh, like the NBA and the, you know and, and big sponsors and social media, and they're really into basketball. But like more people watch baseball than basketball. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that that gets a little lost sometimes, and the ratings are higher for baseball than they are for basketball. But you are playing with fire. Uh, I think there's no question that the owners are doing that. And it is the owners. Like I, I'm not saying the players uh, don't have their demands, and some of their demands I think are fair and some of them aren't. But they can't even get the owners to address them right now because owners really kind of don't want to move on anything. And I think, I think owners are willing to give up games. Like, that is the fundamental issue of this. Owners are willing to give up games to, to get what they want. And uh, they're, they're counting on players to cave. And that is, like, you remember 1994, Lauren. It was bad. Like, it was, it was very bad. and It took baseball quite a bit of time to recover. And you can argue they never truly did recover. That was the time where the NFL really, truly exploded popularity. And and the NFL was able to take advantage of baseball's spot. I don't think baseball has as much ground to give now. I think that you know it already. It's had a, a hard time. One of the many many frustrating things for a lot of people about these negotiations is they're not even talking about. You know, this about fixing the game itself, like pace of play or shortening games, or or you know, uh, changing, making the game uh, uh, more like aesthetically pleasing to watch, or making the game shorter. They're not even talking about that stuff, and I think that uh, I think that stuff needs to be addressed. So, because you know, I love baseball, you love baseball, like I'm not going anywhere. But you know, I, I, there are people who, uh, if you were to invent baseball right now. And, and, and show it to people. It would, uh, the product as it currently is and the way the game is treated by the people that run it uh, is you'd have a hard time selling people on it, and eventually you're going to run out of people like us. And, uh, and, I, and I, yeah, I think, I think they're in much more danger right now than I think that they realize.
2: Well, you are our football, baseball, and basketball guy. So <laughs> tell, us, <laughs> tell us where you see Illinois in the Big Ten as they play Northwestern tomorrow.
7: Yeah, the you know it's funny. It, it was funny how much excitement there was after the Michigan State and, then the, and then the Indiana win, especially the Indiana win. That second half, they just looked terrific. And it, and I love a I love a silent Assembly Hall. It really is a wonderful, truly a wonderful thing. Um, but you know the Purdue game was the Purdue game wasn't so much alarming as it much it was almost felt like a little humbling, yep. which is to say. You know, Illinois is a good team. I don't think there's any question about that, and I think they've got an upside. They're still, you know, the thing that was so exciting after Indiana was, wow, they're that good, and they really don't even have Curbelo going yet. And that we could spend all of February getting Cribbello going and getting everything working out, and, and all the things that's already working, and all the shooters, and you felt real good. Then you saw Purdue, more specifically, you saw Ivy, and you said, oh, we don't have one of those guys.
5: <laughs> and like, <laughs> no. you know, it
7: was the first, it was the first time where. Uh, listen, we've talked all year about, you know, obviously Illinois is going to miss Io because they don't have that, that crunch time guy. And then who's and Illinois still has, really has I mean, Trent's to a certain extent, but that person that can just take over a game the way that uh, Io was able to do and the way that Ivy was able to do. Illinois, I just, I don't think they have that guy. Now, maybe you don't need that guy. Most people don't have that guy. Wisconsin has that guy and Illinois still beat them. So, you know, I think that you can win without that guy. But I do think the Purdue game was the first time where you thought, okay, they may be actually better than us. And that, <laughs> yeah, that's that, exactly that right. That's worried me a little bit. That, that's what worried me a little bit. And it, it didn't feel like Illinois was underachieving or play. It wasn't their best game, but it didn't feel like, you know, it didn't feel like Cincinnati or Marquette. Like it felt like that team's just really, really good, and Illinois couldn't. Uh, a Purdue's going to have its down game. They just had their down game against Michigan. They've got defensive problems of their own. But I think that uh, I think Illinois can still win the Big Ten, and I think that there's still a lot of room for this team to grow. But definitely, that game you looked at it and said, "Man, like that's like they need to everything to execute exactly right and not have a guy like that kind of go off like they did." Because that, that Purdue, in a way, to be honest, I think some of the other losses haven't been because you felt, okay, well, they'll be able to fix this. They'll get Cabela going. But Purdue and Ivy just looked a step ahead of Illinois, pretty much across the board.
1: We'll let you go with this. You mentioned I.O. Is is he on your radar or the Bulls on your radar? Or maybe a, a future story from you?
7: Oh, are you kidding me? Right? I.O. playing with Malcolm Hill, that's the most fun, that's <laughs> the most, uh, exciting thing you can have. Uh, yeah, it, it really is something, you know, I, I think it should not be overlooked. Among Illini fans. So I know that, like, my dad is a, obviously a big Illini fan, and he's just recently, he, he's never really been a huge NBA guy. And so I think getting I.O. and kind of what he's doing has gotten him into it. And I encourage Illini fans to really watch as many Bulls games as you can. Uh, you know, the I.O. is such a big part of that team. For him to be picked for the Futures game at the NBA All Star game is a, is a huge achievement. Like, that is a massive thing for him to be able to do as a, as a mid second round pick. That just very rarely happens, to have a mid-second round pick get that kind of showcase. I, we've all seen the Dwayne Wade clip where he talked about how, how like he compared him to Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> like NBA, legitimate NBA people, I'll put it this way, NBA people that pay no attention to college basketball. and If you ask them, where did I assume we'll go to college, they would not be able to tell you because <laughs> they don't pay attention to college basketball. They are like, this kid is legitimate and is going to be a long-time pro. In this league, it's a very, very exciting thing. It's fun. Remember when Io first? Remember when for a while we wait for Io to dunk.
1: Yeah. forgot
7: mm-hmm. there's a big deal when he dunked, and now you watch him. He's throwing dunks down on seven foot two uh, guys from Lithuania. <laughs> like it's really kind of a remarkable thing to watch, and uh, uh, it, it every game you see him learn more and grow and get better, and it, it feels it, it feels kind of like watching your uh, your your kid. Grow up and become an incredible adult. It's a, it's a really, really fun thing to watch for him to get to do it in Chicago, in his hometown. It's, it's a very cool thing, and he's just getting started.
1: Hey, Will, great stuff. Appreciate you taking time with us uh, at, in your Super Bowl coverage to uh, visit with us for a few minutes. We'll talk to you again soon.
7: Of course. I'll, I'll bring you back an extra armadillo. Uh, <laughs> uh, Thanks, and, uh, Will. Along, along with the invoice and, and my expenses. There you go.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Will. We appreciate it.
7: <laughs> Take care.
1: You bet. It is moving up on ten twenty, here on Atlanta Pellet Saturday Sports Talk. I had a visual here, folks, in the studio during that Will Leach uh, conversation of Lauren uh, about to take off his shoe and throw it at the TV that we have up in the.
2: <laughs> Bruce Pearl. <Burrell? laughs>
1: Bruce Pearl was on the ESPN Game Day, and it was all he could do to. Uh, to, to stay on track on that. That wasn't a pretty sight, was it? Oh, man.
2: <laughs> he's he's really having a ball, isn't he?
1: Well, he's got uh, the number one team in the nation, at least for the moment. They lost the other night. He's speaking got a of,
2: lifetime contract. What the, oh, man.
1: Speaking of postgame celebrations, they kind of went nuts down there when, uh, when yeah. Alabama beat uh, Auburn.
2: You mean Arkansas? Arkansas, yeah. Yeah.
1: When the coach took off his
2: shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, there have been a lot. And by the way, that cost them $250,000. Did it? Yeah. The conference says we're we're done with this stuff. We don't want people. Somebody's going to get hurt out there. So all the students rush out. How do you stop it? Well, you don't. Yeah. Michigan hit the court after the Purdue win. The Michigan students, they were poured out on the court. They rushed the court. So if yeah. we if Illinois beats Northwestern America, would you see that? Well, you ought to <laughs> act like you've been there, right? <laughs> you ought to, I guess so. But, you know, Michigan's been kind of downish this year. They've had some rough games, and all of a sudden they came out and beat a really good – I think Purdue went in there – most of us thinking after the Illinois game, this is a team that could win the national championship. Yeah. And all of a sudden, <laughs> they got routed. They got humbled. Next thing I know, they're down 25. Yeah,
1: we got to 27 there. And yeah. We'll take a break and be back with more. We'll take your calls, 217-356-9397. We'll float that basketball question around again. Uh, had a couple texts on that. Of If you had to pick one Illinois basketball player as the greatest, who would you pick? I know it's subjective. Everybody's going to have a... Different answer, but it's kind of fun to talk about. So we'll take a break and be back with more after this. Stay with us. <music> Illinois basketball today. The Illini women in action this afternoon, 2 o'clock. You can hear it right here. The Illini men in action tomorrow against Northwestern at 1 o'clock. Both those games at the State Farm Center. It's 10-23 right now on Illinois Fellow Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate and yours truly. Let's go back to the phones. Steve in Princeton. Hey, Steve, how you doing?
8: Hey, good morning, guys. Interesting show. Enjoyed every minute of it. But Lil, Will Leach mentioned that he didn't know how many people knew where Io DeSumo went to college. And I watched the Bulls introduce the starting lineups the other night, and they mentioned Io from Chicago. No mention of University of Illinois. So I just, you know, Illinois is not getting the publicity out of that that you would think to some strangers.
2: I bet you there isn't anybody that doesn't know her that knows anything about NBA or basketball knows where Iowa went to school. There can't be anybody that doesn't know that, can there? I mean, he was in the NCA. He he was prominent in the NCA for the last three years.
8: So, but I just think every time you hear the word the University of Illinois, University of Illinois over and over, it it builds.
2: Okay, if you say so. All right.
1: How many people think the University of Illinois is in Chicago? <laughs> it might
2: be somebody. Yeah. Well, there is one. Well, I know there is one, but uh,
1: you know, somebody out in California or Arizona. Yeah. Now, true fans obviously know where it's at, but what else you got, Steve?
8: That's it. But I just thought it's every time you hear a name mentioned over and over, you know, it helps build for the NIL and all that kind of
1: stuff. No doubt about it. Thanks. Appreciate the call. Let's go to New York, New York. Hmm. Jeff is with us. Hey, Jeff.
9: Good morning, guys. um I just had uh, a couple of quick points. Uh, I deco what the last guy said. Uh, it's a really interesting uh, lineup of guests you've had today and have really enjoyed it. But uh, as far as uh, our game against Purdue and theirs against Michigan, I have to say I was not all that surprised. I thought we looked gassed at uh, West Lafayette. Um, I was a little bit worried about that, you know, after – such a big win against indiana whether we'd come in like that and i thought that we did and i also thought that purdue having to travel to ann arbor the next day i thought it was a possibility that they would come out the same way against michigan i didn't see that game but it certainly sounds like uh, they did not have the same shall we say spring in their step that they did against us do you think there's anything to that
6: uh, oh
2: absolutely guy. i mean we right away we said oh, my gosh we're coming home that night and I said, do you realize that purdue has to get up tomorrow this is a nine o'clock game eastern time that they played against illinois they got to go to bed after way after midnight and they have to get up the next day and travel to michigan and absolutely it was a set up game from the very beginning now did i Think they'd necessarily lose? No, I mean I, I thought it'd be a good game, but something happened in the first half of that game that completely changed it. Uh Dickinson wasn't doing anything; he had two points in the first ten minutes or so. I don't know exactly, but he he wasn't much of a factor. And all of a sudden, they didn't guard him on the on the arc, and he tried a three, and they didn't guard him. He tried another three, and he hit all three of them, and, it, and he gave him a nine-point lead at halftime. That was just a stunner because it was otherwise a real close game. And boy, when they came out in that second half, they were red hot. They had a nine-point lead, and they just kept building it. It was—I mean—Brooks made some shots from the corner, Steve, that were just stunning. And well,
1: you know, Michigan had to do the same thing. They played Tuesday night no, on you're the road. right. So. But they
2: came home, home. Right. Yeah. You're exactly right. And but they were coming home to their home beds, and, and yeah. you know, and it, it's a little different when you're home. That's all. Yeah. I mean, the home court's what worth? Is it worth five points? Is it worth twenty points? <laughs> you know some nights it's worth twenty, and it was that night. The other thing uh, that I wanted to say to you,
9: Lauren, is i've uh I saw what happened with auburn and and uh, giving Pearl that big contract. but I just have call it a hunch, something you know along those lines. I think if Louisville wants him, You know, we're talking about Bruce Pearl. He doesn't have the same kind of commitments that some of the rest of us. If Louisville wants him and there's any place that could make him an offer that, uh, well, that he couldn't refuse, if you will, um, I would not be at all surprised to see him at Louisville next year, this contract notwithstanding. I know that uh, that it may sound a little bit off the wall. And I think it would with if it was anybody else but Bruce Pearl. What do you think about that?
2: They're going to hire Payne from Kentucky almost certainly, and he would not go, in my opinion, not now, not after what mm-hmm. they've done. I mean, I, I mean, he is beloved at Auburn. They love him, and he loves them. It's a love affair, and but it's, it's hard for us to understand that. But he's the most popular guy in the whole community.
9: the The other thing is that in the SEC there I don't you know, I think this is an aberration. It's a football conference. Um, you know, nobody I don't think really thinks that uh programs like Old Miss or Alabama or uh, Or Georgia Kentucky are, Yeah. <laughs> well well <laughs> I've always I've always said that Kentucky's history, so to speak was built by being the only basketball school in the biggest football conference in the country, because for years they were cellar dwellers in football.
2: Mm -hmm. Right.
9: They've turned it around a little bit, but, you know, I mean, the other places, I I don't know. We'll see. And I hear what you say about how uh, happy Pearl is there and them with him. But if he gets an offer from uh, Louisville, I mean, Payne is 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 Payne that big of a name um, you know that they would be well he, happy he
1: played at like Louisville that. and he's ah, okay yeah he's he's a, an alum and he's been an assistant coach in the NBA for some time.
9: Okay, I overlooked that. yeah anyway, that's that's all I've got guys.
1: Okay, Jeff thanks. appreciate you listening out in New York City. Thank you very much.
9: We'll continue to do so. Thank Have you a great
10: day.
1: okay, let's go to Bill in Edwardsville. Bill, you're with us real quick here. Go ahead.
10: All right. So, Stan Kroenke was uh, working for years on this plan to leave St. Louis for Los Angeles. And the whole NFL helped him with it. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I married into a family and my well, wife openly and notoriously cheated on me, and whole family knew about it, covered it up, and then helped screw me in the divorce, I'm not, looking, we're not going to family reunions to figure out which one of her cousins I want to date. So, given that, why would I watch any NFL product?
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
6: Uh, for the not, I haven't watched the game in 10 years. Okay. Or 8 years.
1: Well, you're probably not the only one that uh, feels that way. Uh, we appreciate you, your call. Thank you. At uh, 1031, we'll take a break. We'll talk more about the Illinois Northwestern game with Dave Ennett, the voice of the Wildcats, coming up. And we'll still have time to get back to that uh, question about who's your— Who do you think the best Illinois basketball player is? We're getting quite a few texts on this, so we'll run that down for you after we talk to Dave Edit. Stay with us. We're back after this. 1033, this is Lon Fellows Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly, Lauren Tate. Until 11, phone line open, 217-356-9397. lively conversation this morning. We talked about NIL and its ramifications in the first hour. We also spent some time with Will Leach who is at the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 56, and now we bring in batting third in the lineup, uh, Dave Ennett. How are you doing, David? Good morning.
2: Steve, Lord, good morning. We always put our good best hitter batting third. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have that kind of power, Lord. You know that.
1: Well, you still got some speed and quickness, don't you?
10: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> well, Dave, the Wildcats come in tomorrow with uh, riding the three-game winning streak, and the last time that uh, we... Uh, Talked about Northwestern was uh, prior to the the game that was up there, and Northwestern had had that uh, streak of not figuring out how to win some close games, but uh, they've gotten over that, it appears.
10: Well, it, it appears so. If you remember, Steve, the game before that, uh, before the Wildcats played the Illini the first time, they had just played at Michigan and uh, had a five- or seven-point lead late in that game, couldn't close it out, ended up losing by two. And then, you know, it was kind of a similar story against uh, against the Illini. They were up by five points inside the five minute mark, and and ended up losing by three in that one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they 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 had a, a tough one against Rutgers the following game, where they had a twenty four point lead in the second half, and it was it was kind of reminiscent, guys, of the game in Evanston last year against the Illini, if you remember. Northwestern had a big lead at halftime, and then uh, Illinois came out in the second half and and just took over the game and ended up winning by, I don't know, uh, 25 points or something. Uh, This kind of felt like that at times against Rutgers. Uh, They let a 24-point lead get away. The game was tied. They went to overtime. They actually uh, gave up the first basket, I think, in the OT, uh, or or the second one and ended up trailing for a moment in that game before they pulled it out uh, to win in overtime and and then they went to Nebraska. Nebraska, as you know, has played teams tough at home and not been able. They were kind of like Northwestern; they weren't able to figure out a way to win those games. And they they blew them away. They played great at uh, Nebraska and then came home and played Indiana the other night. Solid defensive game and won that one. So yeah, I mean, I think they've after playing all those. Uh, close games and, and losing and not being able to close them out, maybe they've figured it out now.
1: Well, what's been the main difference besides the, the figuring out how to get it done? Have you seen anything different <laughs> in the way they've gone about things offensively or defensively?
10: Well, I think their defense, Steve, has been pretty solid all year. And uh, you look at uh, Chase Audige is, is really a lockdown defender, Uh, I I think uh, Illinois found that out. I I think, you know, he's done a good job generally on the opposing team's top scorer, and uh, I I think he did a great job on Bryce McGowan's out in uh, Nebraska, the freshman, uh, in that game last week. But I think Boo Booey, you know, has been pretty consistent, and he's kind of taken over the scoring lead on this team. And, you know, Boo has uh, at times been a little bit, up and down as, as far, but he's been pretty consistent the last the last several games. and in fact, really all year. I think I think it's clear that he has taken a step this year and he's kind of put this team on his shoulders at times. Pete Nance has been consistent throughout, although his scoring has dropped a little bit the last couple of uh, games, but he's still uh, battling on the boards and still getting good shots just hasn't made them all. And I think overall they've got some big contributions. And you know, One thing they've done, and Illinois saw this, is they they put the freshman Julian Roper into the starting lineup, and his minutes have increased. And he's a guy who's been um, a, a huge on as a rebounder for them from a guard spot and a really good offensive rebounder. And as a result, they're, they're averaging something like uh, 10 offensive rebounds a game and uh, in conference play, I think they're second in the conference in offensive rebounding. And, and you guys have watched Northwestern teams in the past when getting an offensive rebound was a real challenge for them. And, and uh, now, granted, they got a lot of offensive rebounds because their their shooting percentage bit down a little bit. But uh, still, you know, they're getting second-chance points, and that's big for them.
2: Uh, I'm trying to write a column this, this uh, Sunday about rivalries. Uh, talk about Northwestern Illinois and and basketball and football. Who is Northwestern's chief rival, in your opinion, in basketball and in football?
10: Well, that's a that's a great question, Lauren, Because I think you and I have spoken about this in the past. I, you know, look. I think Northwestern's always going to look at Illinois as their biggest rival. I'm not mm-hmm. sure Illinois is always going to look at Northwestern that way. Um, I I think that what's what's happened over the past 25 years or so is northwestern got better uh and and especially in football you know i think they've developed other rivalries in the conference where it, it used to be illinois was always their red letter game but i think you've seen a a rivalry develop in football with iowa and uh, and with wisconsin uh and is actually Wisconsin geographically is the closest Big 10 campus to Evanston. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's it's kind of understandable that they would have a, a good border rivalry going there and I think uh, the results of the the battles have kind of shown that there there is a a competitiveness in that series. You know, I think uh, Pat Fitzgerald has always made the the Land of Lincoln Trophy game now, uh, he's always made that a priority. And up until this past November, you know, Northwestern's had the upper hand lately. <laughs> Likewise, I, at basketball, Illinois has had the upper hand lately. But I think if you look at the games, I, I, I think it's an important series for Northwestern. I think they look at it that way. And I think that the the results of the games, even though Illinois has won seven in a row, I think six of those have been by double, by single digits, right, mm-hmm. by about five points. So, well, I mean, I think it's been a hotly contested series.
2: What was that stat that I saw in the Big Ten of the number of games that Northwestern had lost by, I, I don't remember if that was five points or single figures or whatever it was, Yeah, over over time, over like two or three years?
10: Yeah, it's I, I don't have it at hand, but yeah, you're right, it was very lopsided the wrong way for Northwestern
2: uh, it's like 5 and 25 or 5 and 30 or something yeah
10: like. something like that and and you know it's look they've they've struggled the last few years and and they this year in the first half of the season they lost all those close ones although you know they won by 2 at Michigan State you know and now they they won by 1 point over Rutgers and they won by 6 the other night against Indiana Yeah, I, those are, those are numbers. I think when you're not winning, you know, it is something you point to losing, you know, in close, close games. I mean, it's something you want to fix, obviously something you want to address, but it's, it's still those games, however you want to play them, they're still losses. And, you know, it's something that I think Northwestern is trying to figure out how to be more consistent in those, in those late game situations. And I think, you know, maybe lately they have, even in some games they've lost, I think they've been better in those situations. Uh,
2: Dave, uh, was there ever any, um, anything back and forth between Fitzgerald and the Bears when they were hiring a coach? Was, did, was there any talk at all of their interest or Fitzgerald's interest or was it just nothing?
10: Not not that I'm aware of, Lauren. I think in the past, I think there was sort of an assumption there. I'm not sure that the Bears didn't call uh, just to to gauge interest uh, because I I know that he was very highly thought of by the Bears. uh, And obviously, Northwestern had a tough year in football last year. I, I, I don't think that would really change their feelings about him because if you look at his overall body of work, Uh, it's it's been excellent but I also think that some of it may be they just know he's committed to being where he is right now and uh, I I I would think that if Pat Fitzgerald were ever going to leave Northwestern for an NFL job and the Bears job was open which I think Bears fans are hoping that it's not open four or five years (laughs) now, which seems to have been a pretty regular cycle that you know i I think that uh, it is something that would that would always he he would be a logical candidate because he's a Chicago guy and because he wouldn't have to uproot his family and he's definitely a family guy. you know so I think that from that standpoint it would make sense. Uh, plus Pat Ryan, who's been such a a great uh, benefactor for northwestern is is on the Bears board of directors. So you have all those factors involved there. But as far as I know, uh, and I haven't actually seen Fitz, I don't, I don't think, since shortly after the football season ended. Uh, I, I'm not aware that there was, there certainly wasn't any real strong speculation in Chicago about him uh, going in there as a replacement for Matt Nagy.
1: That's Dave Ennett from WGN. We appreciate your time. Look forward to seeing you at the State Farm Center for that uh, 1 o'clock tip tomorrow.
10: Yeah, can we keep the game moving quickly because – there's another game I want to watch. <laughs> you,
1: you might have just enough time to get home by uh, by kickoff on that. You might miss all. You might miss ten hours of pregame. It yeah, it's going to be
10: pushing it a little. It's going to be a quick postgame show, though. <laughs> all right,
1: Dave. Thanks. We'll see you tomorrow.
10: Thanks, okay, Dave. guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. You bet.
1: Dave and with us, and we'll take a break and be back with more here on DWS and 93.9 FM. Stay with us. Mm-hmm. It is 9.47. Illinois Pella Saturday Sports Talk. And if you're in the market for a new uh, set of windows or a couple of doors at your place, don't forget about the folks at the Pella Window Store. They've been serving Central Illinois for a long time. Whether you're looking for new or replacement windows or doors, the best way to go is to visit the showroom at 101 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign and see the products in person. They've got uh, the wood windows. They've got uh, those in between uh, the glass blinds, and a durability of fiberglass entry doors. And Pella has been rated in the past as a number one by Champagne homeowners as the window brand that can improve the value of your home. They know about all types of windows and doors and what might work best in your unique situation. And working with them is an easy process. They'll be there for you all the way from shopping to installation. So visit the showroom, 1001 North Country Fair Drive. They're open Monday through Friday 8 to 5, Saturday by appointment. Give them a call 356-6474 or visit PellaOfChampagne.com for the window experts at the Pella window store in Champaign. We've got some calls on hold here. Let's start with Walter in Muhammad. Hey, Walter, go ahead.
8: Just a quick question, and I know you won't have the answer probably I'm looking for, but in your opinion, what's happened to Coleman Hawkins and his playing time and
1: Speculation: Will he, <laughs> will he be one of those who look at the, at the portal? Well, I I suppose you could say that about a lot of people in, in uh, college uh, basketball right now. He, he's definitely his playing time has gone down, and that uh, stems from a few things. Obviously, coaches see practice every day, and. And who's playing and who well and who's not, but there's still time for him to to be a major contributor here.
2: But well, he hasn't he hasn't played well since early December, right. And And I think it's been fairly obvious if you watch the games. He, he's gotten a couple of early fouls, and, and he's also uh, just not shooting as well. There there are better three point shooters on the Illinois team than he is, yeah. which which uh, I w- I would have missed my guess there having seen him in high school briefly. I thought he was going to be a good three point shooter. But uh, first shot he took at Centennial when he was here uh, with three and went in. I thought, oh, well, uh, you know, at least he's, that was the one thing I thought he could do. And, and he's not making free throws and he's not making uh, long range shots at at any uh, good level.
1: Yeah. And he was better defensively early in the year. He had that good game against uh, uh, uh,
2: Maryland. Or, uh, Rutgers. Rutgers. Yeah, yes. Yes. Me. Excuse me. It yeah. mm-hmm.
1: wasn't Baker. It was Harper Jr. Yeah. He, he defended mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. ballgame. Anything else, Walter? No, just a, just a question. Thank you very much. Yep, yeah, appreciate your time. Let's go south to Marty in the Carolinas. What do you say, Marty?
5: Morning, Steve. Morning, Lauren. Morning. I say uh, I wasn't surprised that Purdue got beat because Michigan played them tough at Purdue You know, a few days earlier. I'm hoping this is a lot like 88-89, where Indiana won the Big Ten even though Illinois beat them twice. So I'd kind of like to see that reverse this year, and I think with uh, I think if Corbello gets back to the point where he can play 25 or 30 minutes in a game, we could play with Purdue. Uh, if not, it's a problem because they need him to break things down. But anyway, on to your question you asked earlier in the show. Yeah, and I go from my early memories of Illinois basketball are Jimmy Dawson, Tal Brody, Skip Laurine, up to today. And I think it's between Darren Williams and Io because I think you have to have a guy that can get his own shot if it's going to be the best player. Uh, But the guy that popped in my head before I I said that was Derek Harper. I I always thought a lot of him. I thought there wasn't much he couldn't do. I thought he was as smooth as anybody. And I remember the last shot he took on the floor was beating Jim Brewer in Minnesota with a step-back three-pointer. Uh, on a Sunday afternoon game. I think it was a Sunday. Yeah, it was. But uh, but uh, those, are, I, I think it's got to be a guy that can get his own shot.
1: It was a hard question. I mean, uh, I yeah, realize that because point. it's pretty much subjective. Oh. Best as opposed to favorite. I mean, there's all kinds of yeah. ways you could look at it.
5: Exactly. A lot of ways. Great question, though. And but, I, you know, Harper
2: didn't shoot well in his early year. Right. No. And and no, he, he was, his but didn't you have to take defense into consideration.
5: Oh, he was the best ever. Yeah. And well, I take it back. Bruce Douglas was pretty darn good too.
2: Yep. Yeah. You're right.
5: But but uh, quick as far as quick hands, man, no. he had lightning quick hands. He
2: guarded magic in the NBA, that'll tell you.
5: <laughs> that tells you a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, guys, I know you probably got some other calls. It's a great show. I'm a little disappointed with what Will Leach said. I wish these guys would get it together. No. It sounds like they're being stupid. Billionaires and millionaires can't can't play well together.
1: Yep. Adam Wainwright had one of the best quotes I've heard this week. Now, obviously he's a player, so he's going to be on the player yeah. side. But he said, you know, baseball affords a great living for both the players and the owners. And unfortunately, it's the fans that uh, are hurt by a situation like this. He yeah. says sometimes baseball needs to get out of its own way.
5: Yeah, and I... I, I'll disagree with you only a little bit. I think the owners have already made their living before they get their baseball teams these days.
1: That's probably right.
5: I think that I think that was probably true back in the 40s and 50s where a lot of guys made their money off their baseball team. I think today these guys use their baseball team as their, their sports outlet for fun, Yeah, but I don't know.
1: Okay, Marty, thanks, buddy.
5: Make it a great one, guys.
1: You too. Let's go to uh, John in Taylorville who's calling this morning. Hey, John.
6: Hi, guys. Let me give some nominees for best players for uh, I would Sumo for best player at Illinois, for best Illini in the NBA, uh, Johnny Kerr, or Andy Phillips, or Darrell Williams. Most impact on the sport of basketball, Mary, maybe Jerry Colangelo. Mm-hmm. Most loved Illini, D. Brown. Mm-hmm. Or how about Cal Brody for having the most international political impact mm-hmm. as a player? And maybe Manny Jackson for impact as an African American with the ownership of the Harlem Globetrotters and, and all that he did. We've had some great players have a lot of impact in a lot of ways from Illinois basketball.
2: That's no right. doubt about it, John. Good stuff. Who, who were who were who were, did you have with Kerr and Phillip? Uh, I didn't quite catch that. As Andy? Johnny Kerr, yeah, Phillip? Andy Phillip, mm-hmm. and
6: I'd say Darren Williams. Okay. Uh, in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, okay outstanding nba careers those three guys okay. and of course in taylorville we love billy ridley yeah but, right. uh, Little billy. Yeah. yeah yeah
1: all right Thanks, john guys good yeah. question yeah. All right, thank you Bye. let's go uh, to rich and rand good morning rich
8: good morning i'd like to second that manny jackson back when i first started watching on my manny jackson governor vaughn and those guys yep and Manny, long term as a as an ex alini, you can't go much farther than he's gone, do much more than he's done. Colangelo's right up there, too, but Manny with the Globetrotters and everything. Yeah. He's been a great representative, I think, and everybody knows who he is.
1: Yes. Absolutely. Thanks, Rich. I mean, Appreciate that.
8: Away, skill-wise, skill-wise, it's hard to beat Io, because Io did, every, did some things nobody else has done for us.
2: He was the best finisher.
8: No doubt about that. We could show sure you one now, couldn't we?
1: <laughs> you'll always use one appreciate the call rich good points there some other names that uh, have been mentioned on the uh, text line eddie johnson dave downey the question was if you had to pick one illinois basketball player which is an unfair question to begin with but nobody said they all had to be fair but uh and and your favorite uh may not be the best but he's the guy you remember this so there's no wrong answer on this dave downey uh mentioned derrick harper darren williams ken norman Nick Anderson, Dion
2: Thomas. Sometimes when you see Kofi play, particularly early in games, you see him maybe fumble the ball or lose it on a, you know, or not make a good pass or whatever, or miss a couple shots. You's, you just wonder, is, is, <laughs> over time, if you shoot 60%, Steve, that's, that uh, pretty well says it, doesn't it?
1: I've said this to you before, from the time that I've been covering Illinois, which began in 1981. So that's 40 years. The best player I saw here, in my opinion, was Nick Anderson. Now, I may be rethinking that when I start thinking more about Io at some point. But uh, I thought Nick was just...
2: (laughs) The problem with Nick and Io is they didn't stay for their senior year. Right. Neither one of them. Neither did Harper. Illinois' best players didn't stay here for their senior years. right? And Nick only
1: played two years.
2: Yeah, Yeah. right. Yeah, Absolutely. He was was ineligible the first year. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, all the players were ineligible their first year, if you go back far enough. Because uh, when Kerr played, of course, I, I told you, Kerr was on campus a year and a half, three semesters. He came in at the semester. Then Harry decided, and then Harry could have only used him in the second semester of his second year. So Harry decided to hold him out. So he didn't play that year either, so he was set out a year and a half and then played three years, 52, 53, 54. By 54, he was the best center around. You know, he was terrific.
1: You can take one final break at 1057. We'll do that. Be back to wrap things up after this. Stay with us. Time flies when you're having fun. Moving up on 1059 here. About to wrap things up. A lot of good uh, conversation uh, this morning. Cam Cox. Will Leach, Dave Ennick, and a lot of phone calls on a lot of things, NIL, and the best Illinois player, a text that just came in during that break said Eddie Johnson was in the NBA longer than any other fighting Illini, so. Uh,
2: he, was, he was there a long time. 17,
1: 18 years.
2: Yeah, but I mean, I can bring you people in and will tell you Mark Smith was a better college right. player than, and Eddie And Eddie would tell you that for at least the first couple of years, for sure. Yep. So I, th- I think there was a point where Eddie caught him and passed him. But I can get an argument there. But there's no question. They played four years, both of them. Right. And, and you know, they supplanted uh, Levi Cobb and Neil Bresnan, who were good forwards on, on the team. And, and the thing about Mark was he he always guarded the, the other team's best defender, maybe Magic. Yep. And, and he also uh, could play could play guard. It it wasn't his best position, but he could play guard.
1: There's one that just came in for Kenny Battle. You can always talk about Kenny Battle, that's for sure. Hey, we appreciate you listening on WDWS and 93.9 FM for Lauren Tate. This is Steve Kelly. Thanks for listening, and have a good weekend, everybody.